0: Hello everybody, this is Cruz Flores, the writer, director, Edwood type of Dracula, a radio play. The story is going to continue next week, but I wanted to take a break just a little bit to talk with some of the actors from the play uh, to get their perspective on Dracula and the story and of playing the story, because a lot of them have really great ideas that I wanted to explore just to let you know, even after the story is finished, uh, next week, there'll still be some content available. Coming into November, I'll be talking with some experts both on writing and on Dracula itself. So keep an eye out for that. If you'd like to listen to the entire radio play all at once, on the weekend of Halloween, it's going to be available to listen to hosted by the Long Beach Playhouse on their Instagram, their Facebook, and their YouTube page. There'll be a special version of the play all together. So let me start off with just asking you to say your name.
1: I'm Jason Miles. I played Dr. John Seward in the Dracula radio play.
0: What was your first impression of uh, what you thought Dr. Seward would be?
1: He seemed kind of uh, like this cold, calculating type of doctor, with certain, uh, certain frustrations were palpable almost, just reading through some of the lines, especially when I actually uh, got to read the script. Yeah, there's a lot of character development for him, and I, I think he's a very intriguing character. Definitely the character I wanted to play out of everyone.
0: How did you feel about Dr. John Seward uh, by the time you were finished? What ca- how would you describe the character, Dr. John Seward?
1: He's been through a lot of hardship, it seems. His character is, from my perspective, a, a story of vengeance. Mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. can really see just the tension in his lines, and, and you can see the, the change in, in his mannerisms and his character as you get towards the end of the play. He becomes a lot more frustrated and a lot more determined
0: how do you think he feels about Dr. Van Helsing?
1: There's this kind of a supreme admiration for him and definitely some frustration as it's almost like Van Hel- Helsing is, uh, is leading him on this uh, adventure of sorts, mm-hmm. um, bringing him to all these conclusions that he would have never come to on his own, I, I don't think, mm-hmm. and just their interaction is it's kind of humorous in a way because they just work off each other very well. They have good chemistry.
0: Seward is is very often stays in that uh, realm of of student, even though they're more like colleagues, but he's a very frustrating student. He's he's a student that frustrates Van Helsing because he's so smart and he looks at every logical inconsistency. I agree. How do you think he relates to Lucy? How would you describe his relationship to her?
1: I could tell like at the beginning, they're beginning lines with each other. He was really trying to be very professional, and it seems like she was really trying to coax that gooey inside of him to come mm-hmm. out and actually let him be himself. Not to say that the way he, he acts in a professional setting isn't him, but it's uh, like a separate uh, persona. And uh, seeing her be able to get, get that out, uh, she's the only character really that, that is uh, able to do that.
0: Yeah, she brings out a very uh, different facet to him than anybody else in the play. Um, their scenes together—you show a very different side to him,
1: right? I think the adaptation that that Seward goes through is the most interesting of the the character arcs that happen in the play,
0: mm-hmm. especially so- for a character that seems at first to be so stoic. And right, uh, exactly. He, yeah, he goes he goes through a lot, and he shows a, a lot of different sides to him. Let me give this for a last question. If you had to take a guess, where do you think John Seward, you know, where did his life go after the events of uh, the radio play?
1: I think that could be up to interpretation in a sense. He seems like, especially after Lucy dies, it's it's evident that all he cares about really is avenging her and and slaying the beast that, that took his wife from him. I think after everything that happens, you can't really go back to being a well-adjusted, normal person after, you know, slaying vampires and watching your best friends uh, pass. I think that's just kind of the way it has to play out because of just the events in the story. I would like to see him adjust better to the world. It's kind of difficult to do that when you know like you've seen something that uh, no one else has for someone like Dr. John Seward where his kind of realm of reality is for the most part fixed you know in such a way and when it comes crashing down his worldview kind of shifts a little bit.
0: Well I think uh, you did a really great job with Seward Thank if you. I if I could say uh, so myself I, I was really pleased uh, with what you were able to accomplish, and I couldn't ask for somebody uh, to give a better interpretation. I think you hit everything quite perfectly and brought out things that uh, even I had not thought about in the character.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you very much.
0: And uh, is there anything you know last before we go that you know you'd want to say about the play or the character or your work on it?
1: I think it's really interesting how how he's adapted the the play and melded certain characters together and and given a little bit more to characters, personalities that weren't there in the original, in the original story. Mm So.
0: Oh, uh, thank you. Of course. We'll uh, wait to see uh, the rest of it. And um, thank you for your work. Thank you much. First, tell me how to pronounce your full name.
2: Okay, so I am Erin Nicole Lundquist. I play Vampire Sister 1 and the Innkeeper's Wife in Dracula, a radio play by f- by <laughs> Cruz Flores.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. So uh, let me ask you first, what background do you have with uh, the source material with Dracula?
2: So I first read Dracula, my goodness, I'm dating myself, but it's been about 20 years or so. Hmm. I really fell in love with the writing style of the book and that the focus isn't really on the Dracula character. There's a lot going on with the lead up to the discovery of what sordid deeds go on within the walls of Dracula's castle. And actually, I I think I told uh, you once before, but my senior quote was actually from Dracula back in high school.
0: Yeah, I was also intrigued by how much of the book is not about uh, Dracula. Even though Dracula is the villain, it is a story about the heroes who are fighting Dracula, you know? The book spends most of the time with them, and how are they confronting him?
2: Yes, yes. And I, I really have a special place in my heart for Mina, mm-hmm. uh, who the the actress who is... In your, in your play, which is... Oh,
0: uh, Devin Nissan.
2: <laughs> she does an amazing job, so very excited. Um, oh. She reached out to me, so we've been conversing on the side.
0: Oh, so really? Very excited I had no idea. See...
2: Yeah, so we've, um, we're excited to see the whole series kind of unfold. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I was very uh, happy with her as well. She, Especially the very beginning with how Mina is, and uh, she has a, a bit of a snarky attitude in, in what I wrote. Because of the other things that were already in the actual novel, you know, she doesn't really have that kind of witty ripartee in the book, but she is definitely a character who is obsessed with technology. And it also made sense to me that she would uh, be kind of obsessed with Oscar Wilde plays, not just because Mm -hmm. it's contemporary, but because uh, Bram Stoker, his wife almost married Oscar Wilde.
2: Yes, I'm a big Oscar Wilde fan. So there was this whole big series about, I think at one point Oscar Wilde was in jail and writing to this woman and all of these, like, professing his love. And then when he gets released from jail, he finds out that she's married Bram Stoker. Yes. <laughs> and it, like, crushes him. But then he went on to write. I can't remember what the immediate work was that he wrote. But he wrote, like, five things that were brilliant out of his, like, sorrow and rage. I actually think um, – I think the, the picture – the portrait of Dorian Gray was one of them. I do. It,
0: that makes a lot but. of sense. Especially – I mean, if she married Bram Stoker.
2: yes. And there's a whole character that's de- that's dedicated to her, like the one that uh, basically gets away from Dorian is mm-hmm. is directly modeled after Bram Stoker's wife. So it's like, uh.
0: <laughs> A lot of people don't realize the, the background sexuality that's behind Bram Stoker. And a, a, people who know English think of Oscar Wilde as strictly a gay historical figure. But sexuality mm-hmm. was really... Wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly-wobbly at that time. So finding yeah. out that these people had these relationships is very interesting to find out. And I tried to stay true to that with the relationships between, specifically between Dr. John Seward and Quincy Morris uh, because I don't have Arthur, who was originally Lucy's fiancé. He, I, I got rid of that character because I didn't like how bland he is but the one part of him that isn't bland is the fact that he has such a strong connection with Quincy Morris that is like if you read it like they shack up together they spend all their time together they they're like inseparable and they're constantly talking about their affection for each other
2: right they're really good friends
0: (laughs) I felt like I had to be true to that In some way, you know, even if I couldn't be explicit with it, I had to have something that's like, well, these are characters who obviously, you know, their idea of relationships is slightly different than what you would expect, you know?
2: Absolutely. But I think that if you did go too explicit, it would be not true to the time period of English literature in which everything was subtext and everything is... Kind of up for interpretation, but you have to be blind to not see what's happening.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: and I was actually uh, explaining to my younger brother, um, who's he's uh, he's 18, mm-hmm. and I was talking about the origin of vampires because they were making a comment about the sexuality of vampires in modern media. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's what that's what they always were. Like, that's yeah. that's always been like that, except that it's not. It wasn't as explicit, like now you have all of these steamy scenes that you can watch. Yeah. But in the book, the implications of a man coming into a woman's room, that they're not connected, meaning that right. like they're not married, they're not courting. And then, you know, him going to her bed and that was very racy for yeah. the time period. And explaining that that was an expression of the repressed sexuality of the age. I'm glad that you stayed more true to that than... To what is going on
0: now, you know, now. it's been so, a, a lot of what I looked at it when I when I was looking at the book, because I was like, OK, we've had so many years of the antihero Dracula, you know, the one that you don't you know, you don't want to be in love with, but you can't help yourself. You know, how would I make him an actual villain, you know, and still mm-hmm. stay true to these ideas? I didn't want to get throw them out. Right. And that's like looking at like, well, I mean, if you look at it from from the women's point of view, like this is a violation. This is, a you know, this correct. Is taking over your body. This is, you know. Yes. You know, so it, it, I, the, I wanted to focus on that violation aspect to it. To say that, like, there is a sexual subtext to this, but it's a bad relationship, you know? It's a bad right. thing for that he's doing to these to these women and men, to Harker. He does it to Harker as yes. well. And it's important to include that.
2: I And for two reasons. One, like you said, sexuality is a little wibbly-wobbly back mm-hmm. in the 1800s, so it mm-hmm. was one of those. You're capturing that aspect. But also, um, having played one of the vampire sisters, the way that you were trying to portray them as surviving in order to take their power back
1: mm-hmm.
2: is something that you don't see you usually just kind of see them as not necessarily robots but you know like survive slaves or servants yes and completely devoted and what mm-hmm. have you and there's definitely a little pushback that i enjoyed doing with my character yeah <laughs> so that was fun
0: I took a step and thought of like, well, I want them to have slightly different personalities. If they're going to talk, they have to have some sort of personality to them. Mm -hmm. So if they're in the, in this position, and they don't like it. If I'm saying that, you know, he's a villain, you know, and they don't like it, what are they going to do about it? You know, they can't get away from him. They can only try and take a little bit of his power back. And I, I brought that back to, you know, we were t- when we were talking about your character, about why it's important that he only brings them babies, he could bring right. them blood in another way. He could, you know, he could do all sorts of things, but he only gives them little babies because that little bit of power is all he's willing to give them you know to keep them alive
2: right and it's just i'm i'm very i really liked that uh my character really coveted jonathan and tried to yeah get more to try to convince dracula to to let her just just it's okay just let him let this one be mine it's cool it's cool it's just yeah just yeah, throw my way. And <laughs>
0: then, you know, we haven't gotten to that yet. I'm not sure when I'll release this. Probably Oh, Wednesday. yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. But, like, when we get to the end, like, she does the same thing. She does al- almost exactly the same thing with Mina, you know. She's just like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. I-, I can protect yeah. you from him. I- if I'm your abuser, I'll be slightly, you know, not as bad as Dracula.
2: Right. And like, or and it was it's all a, a camaraderie like mm-hmm. we're both victims here shouldn't mm-hmm. we be in this together but but that's just using it's perpetuating that cycle of abuse yes like yeah she was abused but she she can't help it but. Need to abuse other people. Yeah, uh, which is where Mina breaks the mold. Mina's like, this has to stop right now. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And that I mean, and that's how it is in the, the in the novel. She is the, she is the one that breaks this cycle because she is abused and she is you know she she is abused in the novel and she takes that step to be like no. I mean, and that is the one thing that is the number one thing I completely did not want to have in this adaptation that has been in so many others for her to love dracula or be seduced by dracula there's none of that in the novel it is no, not there not at enough. all and so she that hatred that like you know because this is a person who killed her best friend and like you know uh did this horrible abuse to her husband and to her
2: i think it sets up something i think it sets up a trope that's very dangerous that had been repeated Many times, up until just kind of a few years ago, with the Me Too movement, where if a man is bad to you, it means that he likes you. Yeah. Or if a man, you know, if you say no, but he pushes the kiss anyway, then it's romantic. And we've seen that in even like superstar blockbuster AFI top 100 films. Like it's, and I think we're now starting to break away from that, but it was never in the novel. That wasn't, that wasn't. Even in it, then it was something that was perpetuated by, I guess Hollywood.
0: Yeah, no, it's it it was a part of the Bella Lugosi film, and it's gone right right up to how much I, I love parts of the Bram the uh, not I don't want to call it Bram Stoker, I want to call it Francis Ford Coppola's movie. Right, right. I love parts of that movie. I mean, there's so many great visuals and ideas, and they're so wonderful. But yeah, that aspect is such a thing that, like, I just could not deal with, and I just needed to have something, because, you know, when I read the novel and I saw how much she pushed back against it, I was like, well, Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, I have to have that part in it. And it's a very important
2: message for the modern day, uh, because I think a lot of what our current social movements are showing, too, is that we know that approximately one in six people will be assaulted in that way in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking women. I'm not talking men. The average is about one in six people. And if you think about a school, think mm-hmm. about a classroom which has 25 people, that's almost five. That's almost five people yeah. in an average classroom that is going to be violated that way. And so having a story that doesn't a romanticize it and B shows that you can come back from that and you can fight that and you can still be you and reclaim who you are is a very important message for all of those survivors. So I think what you're what you're doing is very important.
0: I took so long looking at it to try and balance between being true to the novel and Perpetuating these problematic elements, you know, because Mm -hmm. her there's a a violation that occurs in the novel when Mina is forced to drink uh, Dracula's blood. And to be perfectly honest, it is written in a way that is somewhat erotic. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can't get away from that. But like I didn't want it to have that aspect. I didn't want it to have that kind of um, allure at least.
2: And I I think you were really clear about that even in your casting call, which is why I was so motivated. I think I tried out for every female role in this project because I was like, I want to be a part of this vision because this is what's been missing from the Dracula story from as long – literally as long as I can remember. Other than reading the source material, I've never seen – well, or actually The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen made Mina a fighter. That that had my Mina in it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was, co- I was also thinking about that. It, I do have similar problems with Alan Moore. He is obsessed with assault as well, and yes, he is, and with <laughs> yes. like. For some reason, she divorces Jonathan and you know becomes a yes. lesbian, and it's like, okay, I guess you know he Whindly has his wobbly
2: own. sex drives. Come I, on, you now. know I
0: don't have a I don't have a problem with her her being open in her in her sexuality. It's just right. you know this is a guy who basically said I'm gonna be with you even if you're a vampire. You know Correct. I would rather not. I was gonna be... say after
2: everything poor Jonathan went through,
0: <laughs> this is a guy who's who says in the novel I would rather not go to heaven than not be with you i mean that's insane to be like you know nah i'm not that's too much (laughs) but i was thinking about the league of extraordinary gentlemen not just the comic book because i I, Mm -hmm. i really did quite like the graphic novel but also the one part of the movie that looked that i was like thinking about her like flying and turning into bats, bats and like doing all yeah. that crazy stuff and i was like man i want that for the ending of the the story you know for her to just do all that crazy shit which is impossible to do in a a radio play or a regular play so i had to like throw that out like almost immediately and be like okay <laughs> how can i show her like that in a way that still translates in a play or to in a radio audio. play yeah to audio right. and we'll see how it goes
2: yeah I'm I'm excited I'm definitely excited to see the the peak of this like I I had read the script but it's different when it comes to life with the right actors so mm. I'm very much anticipating uh the release of each episode every Monday and Wednesday in October
0: uh yeah thank you very much and thank you for taking this time with me
2: thank
3: you for having me
0: First, if you could please uh, introduce yourself to the audience.
3: My name is Lindsay Marr Swanson, and um, I'm a licensed mental health counselor associate in Washington State. I usually work out of the Seattle area.
0: Good, good.
3: But I do um, telehealth, so I can see anyone in Washington State.
0: Yeah, I think everyone is doing telehealth right now. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Let me thank you for being here.
3: Yay, thank you.
0: And thank you for being a part of the project. Thank you
3: for recruiting me. It was so much fun. Like, I was going through kind of a dark time in my life, and it was really wonderful to get to be in a production of a Dracula.
0: Yep. <laughs> I think you did a great job. Thank you. The first thing I wanted to ask was, do you have a background with Dracula?
3: Yeah, actually, Um, when I was a teenager, I went to the UK and Ireland, and the first time I ever got drunk was in Bram Stoker's Bar in Dublin cool and it was just amazing because at the time i was so infatuated with um character actor gary oldman and this bar was like covered in photos of him (laughs) dracula and so i was like the happiest teen and so i was like i'm gonna have an irish coffee because i'm in you know ireland and the drinking age is different and i'm on vacation and i've got pocket money and it's dracula themed and it's amazing and it was one of the best nights of my life just like hanging out with the other kids from the tour bus um singing songs and what have you. It was just wonderful. So that's one Dracula-themed experience I had.
0: Let me ask you a couple questions, picking your brain as an expert. Why do you think this story of Dracula has endured for so long, not just in terms of literature, but in terms of pop culture everywhere?
3: One of the things that is just so lovely about the story of Dracula is that even though it's kind of um, specific to its point in time, like the notion of there being um, grand danger, grand sexy danger is just, I think, popular across a lot of contexts. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, if they are maybe not ready to be um, initiating sexual behaviors, the idea of it being initiated for them might be um, kind of liberating. Mm. But again, that's like But yeah, the idea that he would be a bit of a um, dominant sexual presence in a interaction might, Mm I don't know, just tickle people's fancy for a lot of folks, you know? Um, I know I, for one, have a lot of guilt related to consuming um, meat and animal products. When I do have like a BLT that I am Mm. consuming flesh and that's kind of gross, but beautiful, but gross, but beautiful, gross, but beautiful. And so like in a society or in societies where there is a lot of like eating of um, blood basically mm-hmm. this notion of making it from um, strictly grody <laughs> to, <laughs> to kind of romantic and making um, death itself seem kind of glamorous and less scary and less um, degrading in some ways might be part of the appeal too i know at least for me the notion that oh when we're vampires we can just eat whoever and it's fine another thing too is i think that part of what's enduring about the theme of dracula and vampires in general is this notion of being immortal and of death being less of a scary thing and then death being less of a serious thing like when it is serious like because in dracula it was um gravely mm. serious to use a pun <laughs> 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 it's still like a little bit kind of splashy and even like back in the day still colorful like Mm -hmm. death became something besides just itself Yeah. and so I know that that is um, just can be wonderfully liberating too so it's just the um,
0: the time period did have a lot of romance connected to death yeah that was a notion of the 19th century that became popular for a while so that makes a lot of sense
3: yeah Like the petite mort or Mm -hmm. la petite mort being Mm -hmm. like, and I don't remember how old that expression is, but it's like the um, French kind of slang for orgasm is -hmm. like the tiny death. And so it's like sex and death are kind of soften Mm. each other.
0: So is that why you think the character of Dracula has metamorphosized over time to become more of a anti-hero than he was originally in the book?
3: Yeah, well, I think in the book, there were certain salacious elements to the character where he was like seductive sometimes, but then to recycle a word I've used already kind of grody at other times, but the notion of Dracula as an antihero, I think, I think you're spot on where, um, like just the freedom to be sexual, the freedom to be Mm -hmm. cavalier about death, or at least not mortified about death, mortified, another Mm. pun, (laughs) I'm like totally doing this thing, Mm -hmm. um is uh, just nice mm-hmm. i think and um also feeling like you can be taking a step away from feelings of guilt mm. in order to be like dracula because it's like no vampires they don't feel regrets necessarily they just exist and they have a good time and then they're like what i'm bad it's fine yeah. Yeah. and so i think
0: yeah a license to feel that way <laughs>
3: yeah exactly and i think that like ultimately like the whole concept of dracula and vampires in general comes with a lot of license to be whatever one considers bad like Mm -hmm. it's just all kinds of things wrapped up in it and i think that that is wonderfully just just delicious and Mm -hmm. appeals to a lot of folks
0: these days though i feel like issues with consent and bodily autonomy are much more forefront in our social discussion do you think that might undercut our idea of what dracula is
3: that is such a good question oh my god um Mm -hmm. back in the day in my old kink scene um there used to be a lot of discussion around whether or not play themes related to non-consensual like yeah basically rapey themes let's i I shouldn't dance around the word rape because like this is dracula we're talking about he's like kind of rapey um yeah yeah yeah
0: there's no reason not to confront it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think he actually... No, but could,
0: the metaphor is definitely there.
3: But he still bites people. Yeah.
0: In the way that he treats everyone, both man and woman.
3: Yeah. So, um, again, back in that old kink scene, we would talk about how these kind of themes in kink play or in literature often imply, um, because it is imagination-based, mm-hmm. that there is an implied consent to it where um it's all theater in some ways like like they're chasing one another biting each other but at the end of the day it's actors and they all consented to be here Mm -hmm. but also I don't know because like there's a lot of consent culture around vampires especially in um, maybe contemporary stuff where like they can't enter into a building without consent but they can still enter into somebody's neck without consent and so it's just kind of a wacky juxtaposition that somehow like i think is able to like sort of scoot its way in to Mm -hmm. acceptable culture depending on the person you ask without Mm -hmm. necessarily Mm -hmm. modeling um, ideal sexual boundaries to say the least
0: why do you think that specifically in horror fiction Relationships are portrayed badly most of the time.
3: Again, I think a lot of it is just the play element, Mm -hmm. like being able to um, subvert or even invert Mm -hmm. certain tropes um, about like what is and isn't considered acceptable in a relationship. Like if a person is sick of romance, they might be really pleased to see. um... Can I give a spoiler to *Return of the Living Dead*?
0: Yeah, sure, sure, sure.
3: Okay, so. In The Return of the Living Dead, which was Dan O'Bannon. I'm oh, mm-hmm. like, I love Dan O'Bannon. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves... Like, I'm so phobic about this movie, though. But, like, it's it's so good, but I'm, like, so phobic. But in the end of it, um, everybody stop listening if you haven't seen this movie. And then, like, give it, like, a few seconds. Uh, a boyfriend character who's, like, um, kind of the, like... Oh, how would I put this? Like, kind of...
0: A hero type?
3: Kind of, yeah. Like, um, somebody who would, in anything else, be considered the kind of generic mm-hmm. boyfriend guy mm-hmm. at the end of the film he turns into a zombie and is partially turning and is like shouting at his terrified girlfriend being like trying to get her to come out and then um the film ends with him finding her and then like a bomb goes off and mm-hmm. then zombies spread all over the world mm-hmm. they just get evaporated into gas and then it just pff, the world is yeah. done goes into the atmosphere but the abusive partner finding the abuse survivor and then she doesn't survive um yeah is like i've talked to abuse survivors um not therapy clients i'm not outing therapy clients right now but like abuse survivors in my social circle who have talked about how liberating it is to have um the good guy boyfriend trope subverted because they experienced it in their own lives um Mm -hmm. where like somebody who was the good guy boyfriend At first, um, then became a domestic violence perpetrator, Mm -hmm. like really just scary dudes. And um, seeing that reflected in art um, helped the survivors feel kind of not only justified, but also um, they talked about feeling um, sort of almost vindicated or like stood up for or validated or just represented represented Mm -hmm. in that film in a way that wasn't in other places so i know that oftentimes in horror and horror themed materials um like s&m themes are depicted as being non-consensual and kind of larger than life and this Mm -hmm. isn't that the the um the return of the living dead thing as far as i can tell is just straight up sometimes the person you trusted is going to scare the shit out of you and Mm -hmm. then the worst is going to happen and so that can be um representation for people who have survived um, abuse and violence
0: well the things you're saying are absolutely fascinating to me the ways in which representation and play acting are able to have I guess you would call it catharsis through media yeah
3: and even like sexual catharsis mm-hmm. rather than exclusively emotional catharsis depending on which literature we're talking about like, like mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead I would say regular catharsis
0: well, I I definitely don't mean to shame anyone or, or how they relate to characters or how they interact with characters uh, based on their experience, but I do hope there's a space for dealing with how people would deal with having their bodily autonomy, their freedom, their sense of self taken away from them. That's the point of view that I try to enter into it. As I started writing t- it, started mm-hmm. writing it, I started off with just an idea of it as uh, hunger, you know, a purely biological uh, hmm. process. But as the writing went on, I mm-hmm. I ended up focusing more on the psychological, and Dracula became more of like a psychic vampire, someone who drains people not just of their blood but their sense of self their control of their self
3: yeah there is so a space for that like artistically like like not every Dracula is going to be the sexy Dracula who's like oh look at me I'm wearing a hat but like in Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score he talks about Mm -hmm. during a trauma event if a person feels like they cannot fight or flight and they must either freeze or fawn especially freeze as like the um mm-hmm. response to say an assault mm-hmm. like feeling like you cannot fight back there is no point to fighting back it'll just get you killed um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is associated with much higher intensity or much higher rates or risk of ptsd and i'm talking like like full-blown ptsd like um which is why sexual assault like actual sexual assault not like in the arts um, but like in real life um or in art where it's not frankenfurter you know what i mean yeah can be just so devastating because it's like a person's Mm. body itself is themselves you know body itself itself is um not able to do what bodies Mm. ought to do which is be able to like punch someone in the teeth and run away if one is being assaulted, but if that is, like, going to get you killed, yeah. then, like, it just the, takes away the autonomy, like, what you're talking about, and just, I mean, it's crushing.
0: Well, one of the things that most surprised me from the book when I first read it, I think it was written around 1900, and yet it had a very explicit depictions of male and female trauma uh and post-traumatic stress
3: yeah bram stoker is so cool
0: yeah yeah well Lindsay, i had a lot of fun listening to you uh talk about these issues i i really appreciate you coming on the show and uh thank you for being uh, a part of the show and thank you for uh talking with me
3: you are so welcome. Thank you so much for including me. Um, again, this has just been like super wicked fun and I'm honored to be included. Thank you.
0: The play will continue next week and it should finish off then. Thank you very much for listening to Different Perspectives on Dracula.